Hello to our listeners. I'm Scott Hecker, Senior Counsel with Cypher Shaw in D.C., and this is the Policy Matters Podcast. It's been a while since my last podcast, and I'm thrilled to be back with you to discuss DOL's proposed rulemaking concerning the Wage and Hour Division's Davis-Bacon Act regulations. With me today is longtime listener, first-time participant, Ted North, one of my CIFARTH DC colleagues. Ted, welcome. DOL announced a notice of proposed rulemaking related to the Davis-Bacon Act titled Updating the Davis-Bacon and Related Acts Regulations, and that was on March 11th. Can you give us a little background, Ted, on the act itself and explain the focus of this proposed rulemaking? Yeah, of course. And let me start out by saying thanks for having me on uh, to talk about this. It's exciting. I know we've been talking about it a lot recently. A little background on the Davis-Bacon Act. It was passed by Congress in 1931. The act's stated purpose is to protect construction workers by requiring public contracts to pay the local prevailing wage where work is performed. Uh, really to protect local contractors from being underbid, essentially, by non-local contractors. Uh, the act applies to contracts in excess of $2,000, to which the, the federal government and the District of Columbia are a party to for construction, uh, which includes alteration or repairs to federal buildings. Uh, 52 years after that, after 1951, after the act's passage, the Reagan administration actually reworked how the government would define what a prevailing wage is. Uh, at the time, it was a three-part definition, uh, which included you know, number one, any wage rate paid to a majority of workers. Number two, if there is no wage rate paid to a majority of workers, then the wage rate paid to the greatest number of workers provided it is paid at least 30% of the workers. This is known colloquially as the 30% rule and is kind of the central point uh, of this update. And then the final of of the three-part definition is that if the 30% rule is not met, then the Department of Labor would use the weighted average rate. Uh, after the, the Reagan administration removed the 30% rule from that definition, Congress now has said that there's been an over-reliance on the weighted average rate. So really what we're looking at now is a return to that pre-1983 definition of prevailing wage, uh, among many other changes, but to reinstate that 30% rule uh, within the definition. Got it. Yeah, it's interesting to me. We've talked a little bit about this, and we have actually an article uh, legal update that refers to it. I know you came up with the the snappy title of Back to the Future on this. I mean, it's odd to me that we're going back in modernizing or updating for the modern economy. The wage and hour division is going back to a rule that was in effect from the 30s to 1983. And as you know, being someone like me uh, from just outside Philadelphia, 1983 was the last time the Sixers won an NBA championship. And I can tell you, it's that's just a long time. Um, it's ancient so history, exactly. It's, it's ancient <laughs> history. So to go and update this, to sort of reinvigorate this 30% rule, it, it just seems odd that we're talking modernization by going back to something that's, I don't know, what, four decades old at this point, like myself. So... Tell us, I guess, the 30% rule seems to be kind of the, the headline or, or the highlight of the update. And you'll hear the quotes around that, as I say, update or modernize. But what else is out there? What else is Wage and I are looking to do through this rulemaking? Yeah, you know, DOL has really taken some time since the administration took office a year ago to look at the Davis-Bacon Act, really to determine, you know, what's not working and what is working. There have been a lot of, you know, external comments by contractors or attorneys that are saying, the application is not fair. So in, in addition to, to answer your question, in addition to the 30% rule, several other factors with the update include creating several efficiencies in the prevailing wage update system and ensuring prevailing wage rates keep up with actual wages, which over time would mean higher wages for those local workers. 
There's also regulation that would uh, ensure periodically updating prevailing wage rates to address those out-of-date wage determinations, uh, providing broader authority to adopt state or local determinations when certain criteria is met, issuing supplemental rates for key job classifications when no survey data exists, updating the regulatory language to better reflect modern construction practices, and strengthening worker protections and enforcement, including debarment and anti-retaliation provisions. In the DOL's comments, they're really all of these are really aimed at ensuring that the prevailing wage rates and other protections are there for the local workers to ensure that they are paid wage rates in line with, with what is actually the prevailing wage. Yeah, I think that's, it, it seems like that's certainly a main goal along with it looks like sort of trying to increase. You know, we've seen that in a lot of areas where kind of the $15 minimum wage hasn't gotten traction in Congress, but through executive action or, or rulemaking or combination, you know, the White House and the administration are trying to sort of maybe pull up private employers by setting these higher rates through contracting. Also interesting, I think, is that last bullet, uh, the last point you made about strengthening the worker protections and enforcement, the debarment piece, anti-retaliation. We've just seen, I think, a lot from this administration. This is consistent with them sort of emphasizing the whistleblower or, you know, raising complaints to the relevant enforcement agencies to try and hold, I think, employers accountable. And here you'll see that they added a 29 CFR 5.18, which talks about remedies for retaliation related to Davis-Bacon. And also the Contract Work Hours and Safety Standards Act, which, as you know, I lovingly refer to as QASA, not something a lot of people know about, I don't think, or have had the occasion to, but it deals with overtime in these government contracting spaces. And we've you know, had a conversation and done a presentation recently that, that talked about sort of the basics of QASA, too. So I mean, folks need to be aware of all that kind of stuff, you know, particularly the relief and remedial actions can include things like you know, reinstatement, promotion, back pay and interest terms, conditions, and privileges of the worker's employment or former employment, expungement of warnings, reprimands, or derogatory references, neutral employment references. It's just a lot to deal with. And then on the abatement front for sort of the employer side, you know, the employer focused, there's a goal to kind of harmonize the debarment periods for Davis-Bacon and the Davis-Bacon related acts, which right now I don't think quite align. So we're seeing that combination of pulling up wage rates, increasing enforcement, through whistleblower and, you know, trying to target employers and and sort of, I think a lot of this is a deterrence effort to increase the footprint because we all know that the sort of, you know, the numbers of folks, employees at these enforcement agencies has dipped pretty dramatically over the last four or five years. So I think all of these are kind of ways to maybe get around that and increase the footprint where possible. Yeah. And to that point, you know, the act scope is already massive pre this revision. It covers essentially 71 related acts. And I think within the past year, it was $217 billion worth of federal contracts. I mean, that's massive, not to mention the other, you know, impending law that it's going to be directly uh, applying to. Uh, we have, you know, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, or, you know, what's colloquially referred to as the bipartisan infrastructure law where the Biden administration is making this huge push towards infrastructure reform. And this Davis-Bacon reform is to lay the groundwork as far as labor goes for the, I guess, proposed $1.7 trillion of funding under that act. I mean, that's going to be huge. Not to mention that change to the act's regulations could affect existing or future project labor agreements on federal contracts covered by the act, including those covered by the recent February 4th executive order on PLAs. 
Yeah. I, I mean, again, I think as we just said, it's it's sort of a way, these are all ways to increase wages and, you know, to attempt to pull the private sector along with the public sector where the legislative avenue isn't really working for the administration because the competition will be there. If you're a private employer and there are government contracts in your area, you know, folks are getting paid that prevailing wage. You have to make sure you can meet it in order to attract talent. You know, we have a, a tight labor market, as we all know. And that, that's coupled with other actions that we refer to, like the $15 contractor minimum wage. Um, that's already out there through executive order and regulations as well. So I know speaking with our clients, it's everybody's working to comply with this stuff. There's a lot of moving targets. And so what I think most are really looking for is clarity and time. Uh, mm-hmm. you, know, you need clearly communicated regulatory obligations and sufficient ramp up periods to implement compliant systems. It's You can't just like flip a switch and have all this work. So to that point, you know, the NPRM published on March 18th, interested stakeholders can make their voices heard by submitting comments on or before May 17th of this year. And hopefully the department, you know, looks at this really as they should and and are obligated to do as a collaborative rulemaking where they take into account the voices of all the interested parties here. Because again, we're working with clients who want to do the right thing. They just need clarity and time. You know, you, you just got to have that in order to get there. So Ted, I mean, it was it was great to have you on the Policy Matters podcast today. And I, you know, I know we're, uh, we're going to be on task to talk about this more and, and work with clients more on all these upcoming changes. Thanks to all our listeners. Please feel free to contact your friendly neighborhood Seifarth attorney with any questions and have a great day.